Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we'd love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to, to be here. Thank you for your word because it challenges us, it challenges us. Uh, thank you because it confronts us and also brings joy and comfort to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that today as we uh, read it, you will continue to just change us. I pray that your, your gospel will bring fruit and that our hearts will be stirred towards you, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So uh, we are in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. On the, 20th, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and with what they offer, there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10 when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is the word of the Lord. So when I first read this passage, I, I, it took me a while to really capture what was happening here. It, I, I have to acknowledge this is a little bit of a difficult passage to understand. And, and, and there are many reasons why this passage is a little, a little difficult, and some of, the, some, of, some of them are that, why would somebody carry meat in their pocket? That's, that's kind of <laughs> like the first thing that I was like, okay. So, and then why would somebody, someone that just touched a dead body then go and touch their lunch? That's kind of like also not something that's easy to understand. And, and what is holy meat and all of these things, and why would Haggai ask all these questions to the priest? And at first look, it looks a little weird, and, and, but you have to understand that this passage is, is talking to a group of people called Jews, 
who had very strict dietary restrictions. And not only that, but they also had a very uh, strict food handling procedures. In fact, we, we know what kosher is, right? So there's, there's uh, different methods and ways of preparing food and handling the food that, are, that go into, into a product becoming kosher. And this is not new at all. This was something that, that God truly prescribed to the Jews thousands of years ago. So what's happening basically in this passage is that Haggai is asking the priests about how some people are handling food. And, and more precisely, he's asking them about how these people are uh, handling their offerings. These are the Jews who came back from Babylon about 587 before Christ, and, and they came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And they knew some of these uh, laws about handling uh, food and handling uh, offerings, but they seem to be forgetting about some of it. And if we, if we read verse 14, we see what God tells them. And then verse 14 says, Then Haggai answered and said, So is this with, with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer, there is unclean. So there is a reference to the offerings and the, and the food that they were um, handling. So God is telling the people through Haggai that they are not doing things correctly when it comes to handling food, or specifically more, uh, more referring to offerings. And that's why he calls it holy meat, because it was, it was meat meant for the offering. But through this question, God is trying to make a point and, and, and say that their offerings are just not acceptable. Even more, he's kind of comparing and paralleling their offerings as of oil and bread and, and different things to their works. They're, God is also saying that their work as an offering is no longer acceptable to him. And he's, he's telling them why. He was saying that their work, their offerings, was contaminated. And he was using all of these elements to show them, as an example, how they were also being contaminated. <clears throat> so this, this was a complicated system on, on how to properly bring an offering to God. And if you want to know more about it, you can read uh, the whole book of Leviticus. But if you really want to know about offerings, uh, you can read chapters 21 to 25. But if you're familiar with this, you know that Jews cannot just come and offer anything. There, there, there was a specific uh, uh, amount of things that you needed to offer. Um, not only a specific amounts, but specific things. You could, you could offer oil or bread or spices or certain animals, but it had to be the right kind of spices or animals or uh, oil or bread. And we don't really have time in a sermon to like, unpack all of this. And at first glance, this might sound a little radical, you know, like we're not used to any of these things of offerings and, and things that deity or the deities would ask from us. And, but I come from a culture that this is not very unfamiliar with. I'm from Mexico, and if you've seen Coco, you are sort of familiar <laughs> with, it's not all true, we don't fly on animals and things like that, but um, uh, the reality is that in my culture, uh, we are used to offerings, and on and, and, and Dia de Muertos, on the Day of the Death, people go to great lengths to like, actually offer things to, to their death. And um, people actually do complicated dishes, like mole, which has like over 25 different ingredients, 
to, and they take him to the graveyard and spend the night with people sometimes as an offering. So this is really not that uncommon, even in today's society. Another weird thing, tradition, another weird tradition in Mexico is that people who venerate or, or worship uh, Virgin Mary or Virgin of Guadalupe, like some of them like travel miles on their knees as they go worship the Virgin. So all of these things are maybe unfamiliar to us, but there are cultures where all of this is familiar. And, and the deities would, would kind of say, well, this is acceptable and this is not acceptable. And this is what happens with the only God, the God of, of Israel, the creator of all things. He, he required certain things from his people, and they were not necessarily doing it the right way. So as a good way to unpack what's happening here in these verses... I would like to quote uh, Charles Ryrie, and, and he basically says, and this helped me a lot for us to understand what's happening in the text. He says this, the intention of these two questions is, sanctification cannot be transferred, but contamination can. Just like health is not contagious, but sickness is. The disobedience of God's people was like a corpse in their midst, contaminating them all. So a lot of what's going to happen in this chapter, it's going to be a reference, a direct reference to chapter 1, where God basically tells the people of Israel, you have not prioritized my house, therefore there has been some, not, uh, some time of um, lack, and, and I, I have not blessed you because of your sin. So people were there to actually build a temple, and they were not doing this. So, so God is re referencing this in, in this in this chapter as well. So since they were not obeying God, even their best work wasn't pleasing to him. Even if they were attempting, attempting to work on building the temple or had good intentions, their work was unclean before God. And this is what we see in, in chapter and verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people. That's when he's drawing the parallel from the offerings and how, how to handle food to what the people were doing. So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer, there is unclean. So because of their uncleanliness and contaminated work, God didn't bless them. So God reminds them of what we saw in chapter 1 as well. God reminds them of something that he also already said. Verse 15 through 17 actually says, Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple. So before the work started, before you guys were, were working on my house and when you were working on your house, before that, how did you fare? Remember chapter 1? God is telling them, you have worked, but I have not blessed you. I have kept blessings from you. And he's reminding them of this again. Verse 16 says, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were 10. So God was cutting their labor in half. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. And then again, we see something that God said in chapter 1. I struck you. God is taking their responsibility for this action of withholding blessings from them. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. So God is telling them that what they were doing was contaminated. And he was withholding blessings from them. And I, th I think that God is trying to remind Israel of something that 
we might need to be reminded as well. And is that sin ultimately always brings pain. Sin brings temporary pain on this earth. And people go to jail and people get punished. But ultimately, sin will bring eternal pain, which is even worse. And this is what I think God is showing the Israelites, and, and he's also pointing out to us today. But this is not just an angry reaction from God to people's sin. This was a merciful or a merciful call from God to bring them back to himself. Look at the last part of verse 17. He actually says why he did this, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. And this applies to us as well and to the original audience. We can see ourselves in Israel, a people who constantly fail God, a, a defiled people, a contaminated people. But God is constantly calling us to go back to him. Our disobedience, just like Israel's, taints our best efforts. And that, that includes every human being. We are all part of this. The Bible tells or says that we are sinful. We are egocentric. We are focused on ourselves by nature. And we don't like to accept it. We don't like it. We don't, we don't like to be told that we are sinners. It's, and most of us are not comfortable with this statement. And the reality is that we think we're good. And, and the way we, we come to this conclusion is because we kind of measure all the bad things and all the good things we have, and we try to balance them out. And we, if we think that we do a little bit more good, then we, we come to the conclusion that we are good people. The, the crazy thing is that we don't apply this principle to everybody. We don't see everyone like this. When it comes to us, we say things like, well, I go to work every day. You know, I work hard. I pay taxes. I, I haven't killed anyone. That's, that's what we say. And that's what, in our minds, that's what constitutes a good person. But we don't apply this criteria to everyone. We also know people who work hard, go to work, pay taxes, haven't killed anyone. But one day, they had a horrible attitude towards us. And then they were forever put on our list. And they are no longer good. Even though they do the exact same things we do, we don't measure them through the same measure. Or rule. They're no longer good people like us. There's someone who lied about us or gossiped about us at work. Or, or, or even, a, even a family member that did something to us. We, we just don't apply that. We don't think of them, oh, well, they go to work every day. You know, they've never killed anybody. So they might, they, they're, they're going to be good people. They're good people. No. We don't use the same. Or that person who broke up with you. It no longer matter if, they, if their good actions outnumber their bad actions. They're, they're not good people. In fact, this doesn't even hold in a court. Just because you've been good your whole life, if you steal something, there's going to be a consequence. And, and the criteria is that if you did it once, there might some more coming. Might be some more coming. So the Bible tells us that we are all bad, all sinners. The Bible doesn't say that there's nothing good about us, no. But that the, the, the verdict at the end for our actions is that we are sinful, that we are egocentric, 
that we care about us more than what we care about God. And this is what Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that this has consequences, just like the Israelites. And the consequence of sin is eternal separation from God. In, in other words, the author of Romans actually says that the consequences of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And again, this is, this is not something that is comfortable for us to hear. If you're, a Christian, if you're not a Christian, this might sound very intolerant or harsh from God's part, but, but this is not what it is. This is a God who loves us so much that is constantly telling us and showing us that sin brings pain. That sin will ultimately harm us. That sin will ultimately separate us from Him. And God is showing us constantly. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God is actively calling us through his word, through his people, and through our pain as well. And without God, we are hopeless. We are separated from God, contaminated and defiled, just like the Israelites. We are undeserving people. And just like Israel, our very best works are not enough to please God or to earn salvation. But the story doesn't end there, and not, nor does the text. In the midst of Israel's disobedience, before they laid the foundation of the temple, God steps in. God sends his prophet Haggai, and God takes the initiative and brings his word to them, and God calls them back to himself. God could have just said, you know what, forget these people. I already gave them all of these blessings, and they're not turning back to me. Let them just go about their business. But that's not what God did, and that is not what God does with us. The passage shows us that God takes the initiative and calls the, his people to repentance. This passage shows us hope. But not just any kind of hope, a very concrete hope. And I want you to read it with me. It's in verse 18 and 19. There is a mark on the, on the life of these people that God, God calls them to remember. A day to remember. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the month. What happened on that day? Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. God is asking them to remember a specific day when something happened. And from that day on, he will bless them. And the moment, the defining moment, is the foundation of the Lord's temple. And if, you, if you've been following uh, Haggai, you remember what Bill preached last week. And not only the foundation of the temple is Jesus, but the temple itself is Jesus. 
So God is calling his people to remember a pre-temple moment and a post-temple moment. And, the, and there is something that's, that's so decisive about this temple, or specifically today, about this cornerstone, this foundation that defines our future. This is so powerful in so many ways. The defining moment between being under God's judgment and God's blessing is the foundation of the temple. For the Jews in that context was just a huge stone buried in the ground. And for us, it's the exact same thing. God has given us an undeserved blessing in Jesus. The promise stands today for us in Jesus Christ. The defining moment for us is Jesus Does this sound familiar to you? Jesus is a cornerstone who was buried as well. And and in the midst of their disobedience and our disobedience, God steps in. God takes the initiative and breaks into history and comes as Jesus and calls us back to him. I'm not making this up. This is exactly what Peter wrote about almost 600 years after Haggai wrote this in, in 1 Peter 2 verses Four to eight. When I was reading this, I was, I was so surprised and amazed. Look at what First Peter 2 says. As you come to him, a living stone. He's calling Jesus a living stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for he who believes, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. And this is incredible. This brings so much joy to my heart. It brings peace to know that an undeserving sinner like me has been given an amazing blessing in Jesus. And the parallel is incredible. Just think of this. Jesus is a cornerstone that defines our before and after as well. Jesus is the foundation of our lives as we're being built up on him as a spiritual house. We are now in Jesus a holy priesthood. It's through Jesus that we can now offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Our actions are now accepted by God in Jesus. The hope continues. And God continues to say to his people... You've messed up. You forgot about me. But because of Jesus, I will bless you. Since Jesus entered your life, I will bless you. Things will be different. Why? Because of us? Because of what we've done? No, because of what Jesus has done. The blessings of God are no longer restricted based on our behavior. But now they flow through us based on Jesus' behavior. 
Because Jesus lived the perfect life we were supposed to live, now we are blessed. Because Jesus was beaten, humiliated, and crucified in our place for our sins, now we are blessed. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, overcoming sin and death, now we are blessed. We now have the most amazing blessing of all in Jesus. We have him. We have him for eternity. And we did not deserve it. God has given an undeserved blessing to undeserving people like us. And if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to just to share of this blessing. Your story doesn't have to end with sin or pain. Jesus offers us a better way. He's not asking you to get your act together. He's an expert in giving undeserved gifts to people who do not deserve it. He's actually calling you right now, right here, to himself again. And God is telling you, you can mark a day before me and after me in your life. And this is the case for many of us here. Read 18 and 19 with me again. Consider from this day onward. From the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing but from this day on I will bless you. If you're a Christian already, I want to invite you to thank God for for your present blessings, like your health, your job, your family, your life, and, and recognize that it all comes from him. But I also want to bring your attention to something important, and the fact that our biggest blessing, our biggest undeserved blessing is Christ forever. We tend, we tend to measure our blessings in terms of material things. We tend to measure our blessings in terms of achievements. And in a land that champions the American dream, that's something that we have to fight constantly. In a land that actually has, has created a kind of Christianity that champions the same American dream and, and equates God's blessing with material things and says that God's blessing is your house and, and that's how you see how, how faithful God is. In a land where I just saw on TV the other day, a preacher stands and say that God is pleased when you prosper because he's, and he actually said this, look, if I bring my kids up to the stage and you see my kids all raggedy and, and badly dressed and dirty, you're going to say, what kind of dad is he? And I'm not going to be a proud dad if I see my kids like that. And he said, if God sees you living in a good house, having a good car, you know what? That's going to that's gonna make God happy. And everybody cheered and clapped because, because that is, in a lot of ways, the Christianity that has been portrayed to all of us. A Christianity that we measure by our material things. We truly believe that a true Christian is someone who has a good car, a good job, and, and a good family. And even though we don't realize it, we have actually mixed and, 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 and synchronized the American dream with Christianity. And that is not the case. 
And I want to remind you that your biggest blessing is not on what you have or what you've done. It's in Jesus. Your biggest blessing has already been given to you. Your biggest blessing is Christ. Your biggest blessing, the biggest act of love that was done for you was done 2,000 years ago on a cross. But we tend to measure our blessings in terms of material things or earthly achievements. Your academic achievements are not your best blessings. Your job is not your biggest blessing. Not even your family or child or husband or wife is your biggest blessing. Family? No. Comfort? No. You know why they're not your biggest blessings? Because all of those things can be lost and are temporary. And those things can even turn against you. There's only one amazing, eternal blessing that you have, and it's in Christ. If you're a Christian, that is for you. You can keep that forever. Jesus is your biggest blessing. Jesus is the blessing that nobody can take away from you. Nobody. You know why we fear death so much? Because death means the end of all of these blessings I just mentioned. We fear death because it's the biggest threat to our blessings. Do you know what Jesus does? He overcame death. You know what death means for us? It means the achievement of our biggest blessing. Jesus is our biggest blessing because not even death can separate us from it. Death propels us to our biggest blessing. And I want to finish by asking you to visualize something, a text that has become one of my favorite texts text, uh, in the last days. I grew up in churches that were, that were the book of Revelation or anything related to the end of times was scary. I grew up fearing the day when I would stand before God and, and I would, I don't know if you grew up with this, but like, um, I don't even know the titles of these movies in English, but uh, I was like a, like a thief in the night or something like that. And all of these movies, they showed them to me when I was like 10 or 11 and I would like freak out about Revelation or anything that had to do with the end times. But now when I read Revelation, and we did a series back when I was in Doxa, I was like, man, I missed so many of these great passages because of this fear that was instilled with me. But before I read this, I want to confess something. I, I used to see heaven as an as a, as escape from hell. That was, that was basically a better option to going to, from going to hell. But as I've grown and I've learned to see my undeserved blessing as Jesus himself, Revelation took on a whole new level. So let me read Revelation 21, a, chap, a, a passage that Bill also read last week, verses 1 to 4, and it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy new city, Jerusalem, coming down out, from heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for, for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them as their God. Notice that the blessing up to this point is God himself. The blessing is God. He will be with us. He will be our dwelling place. He will be our God. And then out of that is that the amazing things that will happen in heaven flow. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. Our biggest blessing is Jesus, and that has to be our focus today. But you know what? It gets better. It's not only for today. It's for the future. So I want to invite you to take your eyes off of what's happening here, out of your daily troubles, and look to eternity and think, one day we'll be in a place where God will be with us. He will be our light. He will be our temple. He will be our husband. He will be our joy and our peace. And one day there will never be more tears again. One day there won't be any more suffering. One day we will never see pain again. And it's all because of him. One day, we will die, and we can rest assured that something far better than anything we've ever experienced in this life awaits us. And that is our blessing. Since the day that the foundation was laid, I will bless you. And the blessing that we have today is better than what we can imagine. And all of this is free. It's an undeserved blessing for undeserving people. And even if you can't see it now, it's coming. And that's what the text tells us. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not or have yielded nothing. Maybe you can't see it right now. Maybe you can't feel it right now. But guess what? From this day on, I will bless you. And I want to invite you during this Advent season, prepare your hearts for what's coming. We celebrate that God came and rescued us. And that was the beginning of the story. A little baby destined to die so that he would bring hope, eternal hope to all of us. The word became flesh and rescued us and brought us life. And humankind has already experienced the, big, the biggest gift will ever receive and it's Jesus Christ so prepare your heart because even if you can't see it now you can count on it God has given an undeserved blessing to undeserving people let's pray Lord Jesus thank you for your grace Lord Jesus thank you for your amazing gift God, thank you because even though we are bad, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even though we were going straight to, to hell, you stepped in. You, has, you chose to step in. You took the initiative to come and to bring us back to you, to call us back to you, and you have given us yourself 
Lord, help us measure our blessings by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, let us never think of you as somebody who owes us anything. Lord, I pray that we will not measure our blessings in terms of material things, but that we will treasure, treasure you, treasure Christ, treasure that one day we will be with you in eternity. And it will be amazing. And it's all because of your grace. Lord, I pray that during this season we will also prepare our hearts as we celebrate your coming, that you became flesh and dwelt among us to bring, bring us hope. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.